Hello, welcome to this latest podcast from the University of Brighton. In this week's episode, Edwin Gilson has been talking to MA Fine Arts graduate Adele Gibson, a Lewis-based artist who is curating a new exhibition and programme of events at the university's Grand Parade site, entitled Let's Talk About the Anthropocene. It runs from July the 27th until August the 2nd. In the podcast, Adele explains what the Anthropocene is and why it's important, the role of art in environmental change and her experience of the university's MA Fine Arts degree. But she began by explaining her decision to host the exhibition at the Grand Parade Gallery. I obviously have connections with the university having done my MA here. I always saw Brighton as being a really good place to do this because it's the only place with a green MP and there's, very, um, there's a very strong environmental movement here. I know the staff here, I know the space really well, having worked here for two years. Um, I really like the gallery, the fact that it's open, that it's got this long window that people can see in. Um, it's very central, so it's a really good location, I think, to do this, what I hope will be a very public-facing event. And it's a very topical event as well, also. Um, the Anthropocene is a word that seems to be creeping more and more into the public consciousness. It's a big issue, but could you briefly summarise what the Anthropocene is? So the Anthropocene is something that scientists have designated as being a new geological epoch. I don't think it's, well, certainly in my social circle, it's not something that people hear about. And if I tell people that I'm doing this project on the Anthropocene, they just look a bit blank. Uh, I know there was a very good Guardian article a couple of weeks ago about what the Anthropocene is and why it's so significant, so I thought that was good. I think the problem is, it is quite, it's quite a difficult concept. People are not used to thinking about geological timescales. It's a very important thing to consider because people are talking about climate, but the Anthropocene encompasses more than climate. So it encompasses what we're doing on the planet, so what we're doing in terms of extractive industries, what we're doing to the geology of the planet, the atmosphere, the oceans, our waste. So if you just look at climate in isolation, you might think that going down a nuclear option is helpful because that's going to give you reduced carbon emissions. But what it doesn't consider is the waste that you're producing that is not going to degenerate in our lifetimes and we don't currently have a way of storing it. So, so I think the Anthropocene, it, it, it encompasses the whole, the whole planetary systems, the oceans, the earth, the climate, the atmosphere, the whole thing. And I think it's very useful to think holistically about the planet in that way. And in terms of raising awareness of environmental breakdown do you think it's a more useful term than climate change or global warming because it it is more all-encompassing as you said yeah I think it I think it's it's a difficult word um, but I think there's no reason if you just start using the word people will people will catch up so I part of what I want to do with this project is I want to get the word out there and when I started off I had this idea that maybe I wouldn't use the word maybe I would call the project force of nature because the designation of the Anthropocene as this new geological epoch is saying that for the first time the planet is not being affected by external things like uh, meteors or um, volcanoes or something that's geological. It's actually because of, because of us. Um, 
I'll just I'll just add the because of us because it's not when I say because of us I don't mean all of mankind it's it's western industrialized societies that have contributed to the problem what inspired you to host this exhibition and program of events as a kind of artistic response to the anthropocene then so I think reading about it can be quite challenging. So I've been I've been reading scientific papers now for three years, and I still, when I read the Guardian article, which was very very well written and very clear, I still find it a little bit boring. And I think a lot of people, you know, people in my family would not have made it to the end of that article. It was it was theoretically correct, it was well researched, and it was well written. But I think it was a lot of text. Uh, it was a lot of facts. And I think art has a real, a real power in engaging people in a different way. And you, you don't, you can't predict what way that is, but um, by by sort of aestheticizing this quite large and difficult concept, you will connect with people on an emotional level. And I think there's power in that. Have you seen examples of when that's worked then to you? When people, when you have connected more with the issue of climate change and how they've seen through art? I don't think there's been there's been very much in this country at all. There have been exhibitions in Europe and um, a notable one in the US, but I haven't I haven't been able to visit them. One of the things that I've uncovered by doing this is I have uncovered that people because I put out an open call for artwork and that was really well responded to. So people are, artists are concerned and and are making work, but I don't think there's been much in the way of, I haven't seen anything in this country that has been this kind of event. So I think I'm just taking my cue from kind of in other subject areas where art has made a difference to people's thinking about a subject. And, and do you think that so far people might think of climate change as a strictly scientific issue and that one that maybe the humanities and arts don't have a lot to contribute towards. Do you think that's an, an issue we kind of need to get away from and a way of thinking that we need to move away from? Yes, I do. So um, so this subject of the Anthropocene has been, um, it actually has, it has generated a lot of academic research. So in the humanities as well as, as, well as science, uh, there's been a, a lot written about it. Um, there are three journals that have Anthropocene in the title. But I think in the art world, I think the art world has not really embraced this. Part of my motivation is that I that I hope that, that it will, that this will be a catalyst. So I kind of hope that this might be the first in what could be another event somewhere else. Um, this is a research and development funded project. So it's, you know, it has the potential to go for the work to go on further. And you mentioned it was an open call to artists. Um, did you get submissions from far and wide? And how did you actually select the, the final exhibitors? Um, well, that was interesting because I've never done this kind of um, selection process before. And I didn't want it to be just my personal taste. So I got two other people, a previous MA person who um, has worked in as a, as a Channel 4 researcher and producer. So she's got a kind of sound career background and somebody who was a tutor on my course an ex-tutor from my course so they agreed to help me go through the submissions Um, what I didn't tell them was that I went through the submissions first 
and put the ones that I chose and then I let them look and I thought we'd then debate the differences but actually we were unanimous with we chose 30 and 28 were we we were unanimous on so there were only two that we had some discussion about so it was really that was really interesting a very I thought very strong submissions so that was that was gratifying to see talking about the work on display then how do you distinguish art that responds to the Anthropocene with landscape art for example is there because a lot of the art will obviously be about the natural world and everything how is that distinguished from art about climate change in the Anthropocene in your view it's surprisingly not. <laughs> the submissions were surprisingly not um, very landscape. So that's, that's my background. I was almost hoping that there wouldn't be too much of that because, because my work kind of covers that. But, but people work in such really diverse and interesting ways. So we've got some sculpture, we've got work um, tapestry, we've got stitched work. We've got um, books, poetry, we've got a whole selection. So, so, yes, that was really interesting. Sure. And I guess there's a general idea that sometimes that direct art is not good art, if you know what I mean. Art has to have some kind of ambiguity or has to ask a certain question to be effective. But when it comes to climate change and the Anthropocene, there aren't that many questions to be asked, are there? It's more, we need action and we need it now. How do you think artists kind of get around that issue I suppose to not make the work too direct. I think you have to come and see the show so uh, we did include there was one piece that you could almost call it protest art Um, it was a fairly um, clear depiction of um, what happened in the school strikes in London but but that was the exception so people people came up with all kinds of interesting takes on it um, I don't want to say too much. Um, the images are, are on the website of the submissions, so people can have a look at that. Um, but that was really interesting to see how people responded to the, the brief. OK, we'll have to wait and see. On, on environmental breakdown in general, then, it's a matter that once you get started thinking about it, it's very difficult to get out of your head, as I'm sure you'll know, and it can, it can cause all sorts of anxieties in everyone, really. So to you, does making art in response to environmental breakdown provide an element of catharsis or at least a way of engaging with it in a constructive way do you think oh I get, my emotions go from from very pessimistic to then something happens and I'm more optimistic so I think lots of people who work in this field swing from from those two extremes I think where I am at the moment I see that we we have a window of opportunity so we have not reached the end game yet. We've got, so, you know, the IPCC report that was produced last year said 12 years. Not much has changed in the last year, so we're down to 11 years. But we definitely have this window. And what's gratifying is seeing the sort of things that are coming out, people talking about um, new economic systems, about circular economy, um, you know, we've we've got politicians who are moving a little bit. They need they need to move more, but it's it's a start. I'm now at a point where I'm sort of thinking there are possibilities. So I'm neither pessimistic or optimistic. I'm going to steal a term that um, Hans Rosling used. He called himself a possibilist, and I think that's where I am at the moment. A possibilist. A Can possibilist. you explain what that what that means? 
So, as I said, I don't think we've reached the end game yet. So, I think we have opportunities to act, and we have the opportunity, we have the possibility of doing things. And the awareness is there, and the awareness is increasing, and that's what I'm hoping to sort of feed in to take that awareness into maybe places that it hasn't reached. And you think there's greater scope for that awareness then across all the all the sectors, I suppose? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Yes. So starting you know, starting with the university environment, I've I've spoken to people who are in this environment who don't know what the Anthropocene is. So that would be a really good starting point mm. that the people who work here and the students that are studying here actually got some understanding of what it is and then if we can reach a wider public through what I'm doing um, with marketing and promotion and advertising then that's another layer. Okay I know you said earlier that that um, it's far from the case that all of the art in the show uh, reflects on the natural world but I was wondering if you thought that one of the problems we have in terms of spreading environmental awareness is a lack of contact and engagement with the natural world in general that kind of argument that if we, you know, if we don't know what we're what we're protecting, where's our motivation to save it? That kind of that kind of thing. Would you agree with that? Would you say that the I, engagement with the natural world needs to be higher in, in general? I don't want to be didactic and say people should be doing this or people should be doing that, but I think it's part of the problem. I think that young people don't have the freedom to play in the natural world that I certainly had when I was growing up. So I used to just get on my bike and go off, and I think. I think there is there is people are more attached to their phones than than looking around. Um, I'm hoping that one of the artists who's coming to do the residency bit of the project, she's very she's a young woman. Um, she's very interested in exploring this in her practice. So I'm hoping that this two weeks that she'll have to research and make some work might address that in some way. And reflecting on your own work then, um, have you always been concerned with the natural world in art? I mean, I know you visited the Arctic and done paintings based on your experiences there. Could you elaborate on that a little bit more? So, yeah, my background is um, as a landscape painter. Uh, since coming on the MA and since doing research about the Anthropocene, I got very interested in, uh, aesthetically, I'm very interested in northern regions. I find ice aesthetically very engaging and the research has made me aware of how important the Arctic is so the Arctic is kind of the regulator of climate on the planet and what's happening there is the warming there is happening twice as fast as anywhere else and so the impact the impact there is is really significant so that was my motivation to go on the residency there and that was a very that was a very um emotional experience to be to really see it to see plastic on beaches that nobody visits and to see glaciers carving profusely you know every five minutes great huge chunks of it falling off to to hear the guides talking about how much the glaciers have retreated in the last 10 years so yes sort of bearing witness to that um, was another motivator for this for this project so you wouldn't say that sparked your interest and awareness of the Anthropocene it just kind of accentuated it yes right yeah. okay uh, well, yeah we talked off Mike a bit about um, the recent protests Extinction Rebellion protests that um, that not everyone agreed with perhaps but they definitely had a certain impact can you see that i.e. wider protests mass protests in, in cities across the UK being a, a productive way forward what's your view on kind of environmental protests in general at this time 
Yeah, I think it's needed. I think it's needed. Um, I know Extinction Rebellion have come in for some criticism, but you can't deny that they've been effective. I think it might be in September. I think there's a plan for the school strikes to actually go into kind of workplaces so that adults will join the children. I think it's rather shocking that we've reached a point where children have to lead the way on this. I think we've let them down badly um, and I'm fully supportive of it. And and I think until until we get the movement that we need from politicians, yeah, I think this kind of activism is really is really effective. And why do you think there has been this kind of immobility then in in government about acting on climate change? Is it because we've got major distractions like Brexit and now the Tory leadership? Is do things always get in the way? Is what I'm trying to say? Or what 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 do you think there are, are the other reasons for this kind of stasis that we're seeing in terms of action about climate change? I think it's inconvenient. I think, you know, Al Gore in his first film, An Inconvenient Truth, it is inconvenient. It's much easier for people to to carry on business as, as normal. And there's a bit of greenwashing goes on, you know, um, changing the law about cotton buds. I mean, this is, this is pure stuff, given the scope of the challenge that we face. So I don't, I honestly don't know. I don't know any politicians to know. Do they, do they not get it? Do they just not get it? Do they read the IPCC reports and think, oh, there's a 50-50 chance of us hitting the 1.5 degrees. That's good enough. You know, a 50-50 chance of saving the planet. Why would you gamble on that? I don't, I don't really understand their thinking. Do you think it's still kind of a, a, an abstract concept, I suppose, for people? And it's difficult to see the palpable risk about it when it seems like it's still in the distance somewhere, I think. Do you think that's an issue? It would be nice to think that that was the issue. I think there are also some politicians, you know, Trump, for example, having just so much vested interest in in connections with fossil fuel and political donations and... Um, it's kind of it's convenient, I think, for some politicians to to go down the climate denial route and to just not engage, to just not engage with with the science, with the facts. Okay, I wondered if we could reflect upon your time at the university in general quickly. Yeah, how do you reflect upon your MA now? How does it feel to be here, sitting in the Grand Parade quad? I just had I had the best time. I just had the best time. A wonderful cohort of students. Um, with an age range from mid-twenties through to more mature students and the enthusiasm and the discussions and the ideas so all that kind of creative output I just find really, really stimulating and had I not done that MA I would not have been in a position to put on this project to to have acquired funding. When we did the MA, we had a final show. I took quite a major part in that and and that was really useful in doing this project, knowing what's involved on putting on a group show. Was there a good kind of camaraderie in your class? I think I was really exceptionally lucky. Really wonderful group of students, yeah. Great, okay. Um, and can you reflect on some of the main lessons you learnt while you were here? Can you pinpoint maybe two or three that you still use now in your practice, perhaps? So I think it, it fundamentally changed my practice. So I was, I was a kind of happy landscape painter who made beautiful paintings of landscapes that I loved. 
and there is now just so much more research and so much more in terms of what I want the paintings to speak about, the connection that I have with my art. Um, yeah, it's just much, it's a, it's a practice now. It's a much deeper, it's a much deeper thing, which really permeates to the, to the core of what's important to me. And does the university kind of encourage that approach then, a kind of marriage of um, academic research with practice? Yeah, the MA is a, it's a research MA. So, so research is a very, very big part of, of the course. And going back a bit further, you had a career in business, I believe, before becoming a, a full-time artist. Um, I did. When did, you, when did you stop that career and, and why? Oh, I stopped that career um, after having my second child. Uh, it was not sustainable and I was always a square peg and a round hole. I found it intellectually satisfying and stimulating and it did not nourish the soul in any way at all. I think I saw a quote from you where you said coming back after the after lunchtime to the office made you feel sick yes <laughs> is, is, was that a reflection of the job in general or? uh yes it was yes okay I see and you also have experience of being a chemistry teacher am I right in saying that yes I did yes so my first degree was biochemistry and I always thought that I would teach and there's a bit of me that likes the idea of teaching and I think teachers do a wonderful job but actually I'm not personality is not best suited to dealing with the classroom right okay <laughs> and um yeah i wonder if we could just sum up by uh you outlining why people should come to this exhibition why they should engage with it in a, in a kind of pithy way if you can well i'm really excited to be working with the caliber of residency artists that i'm working with so um we have one artist emma critchley who was chosen out of an international open call to work on a very prestigious project in Venice called the Ice Memory Project and I'm really excited to see what she's going to do in terms of the time that she's that she's spending on this project. I'm very keen to hear what she's what she's been working on in Venice. She's there right now. Other people who are involved um, have all got practices that engage with the environment um, and they work in different media so they work in installation, uh, in performance and and I think it's going to be really interesting to see to see what work comes out of this and then alongside that there's going to be the the installed exhibition which is as a result of the open call and um, yeah I've only seen digital images but I think there's going to be some really strong work shown there and you mentioned what's going to come out of this what do you hope will come out of this then in, in the long term I've got an open mind at the moment. I've, this has consumed my life for the last six months. Um, I'll need to have a little bit of a break. So I've just been working seven days a week on this for, for well, certainly the last six months. It would be nice to think that this might be something that could be built upon. Uh, so it's a research and development project. I think, yes, it, if, we can, if we can take it on to something else, maybe into a London venue that would be that would be really nice um yeah we'll have to we'll have to see
Thanks to Adele for her time. You can find out more about Let's Talk About the Anthropocene by clicking or tapping the links in the podcast description. Now you can subscribe to this podcast so the next episode drops magically into your preferred podcast app. We're on most platforms. You can also listen to previous episodes there too. You just need to search University of Brighton in your preferred app. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.